0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Copcast podcast. We're coming to you after Liverpool 2. Blue shite nil. They came, they do what they do all the time and lose and people say they've played well and defended well but they're absolutely shite. I've got Andy Bell, I've got Jay Reid. Jay, the start of 11 is probably what you expect given all of the issues injuries suspensions travel from international break half 12 on a Saturday and it's a bit subdued but look I think they have a very basic Sean Dyche in plan and as usual it doesn't work and this probably wasn't the point that it was going to come on to initially, but I think this is starting to become a trade of this Liverpool team. You know, I'm thinking about the Wolves game, I'm thinking about the Newcastle game. Um, we just seem to be a team now that no matter what happens, we just stay calm, we're confident in our own ability and we do what it takes to get ourselves over the line and ultimately you know, that's what happened. It reminded me a lot of, of the Derby a couple of years ago where, where Robertson gets a, a, a goal with about 20 minutes to go and Origi scores in the last minute. And th- this, hopefully, is now what this team do as opposed to last season, which was kind of capitulate whenever any sort of pressure was applied to them.
1: Yeah, I suppose those mentality monsters died, didn't they? It was the... The term that was going to be coined, um, from what Clock called them anyway, but we have sort of revitalized and turned over the squad. Um, over the last few years, obviously, the midfield was the big overhaul this year, but in attack, you know, the famous old threesome of Mane Salah Firmino has been gone, and yes, Salah still survives. and it's Diaz Nunes, Jota, uh, Garpo in there, and I was And you know, a couple of couple Of faces arguably at the back, but it's mainly been you know a similar old story with what's there. But you know, they've been there, done it, and they've won things. So, you know, it's a fresh mindset, a fresh opportunity. And yeah, we're we're going through adversity in a lot of games. So, you know, as you mentioned rightly, the the half 12 was just a ludicrous time to put a Merseyside diary on, other than you know, bullshit excuses, probably that Manchester police are using, that Merseyside police are trying to use, even though. I had this conversation today with Never Tony, and where it was actually, do you ever really see that much trouble at a Merseyside derby? Probably not. You know, like, there tends to be, you know, more trouble when the Manchester clubs come to the city and whatever. But, you know, it's by the by, and, you know, the TV channels want this, you know, feisty Merseyside derby, but putting a game on a half 12 is is stupid because it does just kill the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we, we've got we've got this doggedness about us, this confidence, you know, the, the lads we brought in in midfield have not, you know, been through, you know, the shit that we had over, you know, the last couple of years when you think back to, you know, that time when we lost six defeats at home on the spin, um, Jordan like the COVID era and then, you know, all the shits with injury and, you know, just falling short in, in finals and whatever. The, these lads have come in and they've got a clean slate, you know, the young, the hungry, they want to prove something they've you know, they say all the right things in terms of, you know, do you want to win things with Liverpool because there's other players in the squad who have and that's what they want to, you know, achieve at such a big club. So it is it's good to see, you know, it it's good to watch. It's good to actually, you know, feel like you can go to a game and you can play a shithead head team like Everton with shithead head tactics like Sean Dyche and know that, okay, when he gets to ten men and then he gets to half time and he thinks, right, sod this for the game of cards I'm going to take any sort of attack and flared off, and just go five at the back and then stack the midfield basically on top of them back five and just leave some fella up top running around. You know, you're up against it. And I think if that was last season and the sort of frame of mind that we were in at times, we probably would have finished that game nil nil. And it wouldn't have been a surprise where this year we've got this, you know, doggedness about us where we've had, you know, 10 men situations ourselves, we've had you know, VAR has never can go against us and some may argue if you are of a blue persuasion that ever went for us at the weekend, I don't think it did. I think the right decisions probably just went in our favour but I never once felt at that time throughout the whole 90 really or the, well 75 until it was 1-0. We were never going to get the win. I always thought we'd have enough quality to eventually knock the door down and get a goal because they're just the worst and United which you aren't very good, they are shit and, and we are good. So, yeah, it's it's good to have this mentality. It's good to go to games and feel like, you know, even if you go one 0 down, which we have several times, um, you know, there's something about us where we can come back and it's, you know, that never say die sort of attitude. And yeah, it's 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 good to be a red again if that's what makes sense. Yeah, and Andy <laughs> we've had to listen all season as
0: we've got men sent off left, right and centre for one reason or another. High Difficult it is to play against 10 men. We heard Eddie Howe come out and fucking trot that line out. We heard Posta Coglu come out and trot that line out and whoever else. It's so difficult to play against 10 men. But actually, when it went 10, we just kept going about our business and we kept probing and prodding with patience and you know, method and strategy and I think we didn't panic and we looked just so assured even because look I, when it gets to like 60 minutes I'm clock watching and I'm thinking Jesus this is now starting to become a bit of a stretch. This is now the sort of period of the game where opposition teams think we can actually get something here. Let's properly dig in. But ultimately w- we get ourselves over the line. and it, it doesn't look like it impacts the way we play as much as it's impacted the way teams have played against us when we've gone down to 10 or even nine men?
2: Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think first ten minutes were really good. And then aside from that, I think before and after the red card, I think we're much of a muchness really. We struggle to create too many actual chances in terms of shots, but it does feel like... I we're think const- you're right,
0: Andy. You're totally right. But I think my point here is, is that we don't start doing stupid things. I don't. I don't think
2: we don't start trying to force the issue. I don't know. Sobosly has some pretty stupid shots, I think. But uh, we'll yeah, fair enough. I guess. Um, but I, I think I think gen- generally you are right. And to be fair, like you know, when Everton sat back so deep, a soberslide effort with the amount of space he had probably wasn't maybe, maybe wasn't as stupid as I'm suggesting. But I think without actually having many shots. In terms of like chances in the box shots that we had, we we did constantly sort of get into those areas where Diaz, first of all, wins the well, wins a penalty that isn't given and then wins the penalty that, that is given. I think we're constantly getting into those areas and it's one of those where the expected goals metric probably isn't a fair reflection on how dominant we actually were because if you get into those areas over and over and over again you're not having a shot so it's not showing up on the metric but you are constantly getting those pullbacks and when you're closer to the goal as we were you know there weren't wide crosses there were very very central crosses when you when you're crossing from there you are going to get chances and eventually we do force something so I don't know I was in the ground and I was watching the clock like you but I did get that feeling of we were always going to score and I don't know whether that was just like I couldn't physically comprehend this idea that we could draw this game with ten men against a side as poor as Everton, but you know I, I was very relieved when we when we eventually did get it because a, a nil nil against Everton's embarrassing enough in both teams' current form and state. Never mind when you add. The fact that 50 minutes of that game was played with 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 Everton having 10 men. So yeah, it's just relieved to get the other side of it, really. I think, um I think you're right. You're both right about the half twelve kickoff. It just, it just does suck all life out of the game. Everyone's realistically, unless you're an absolute mad bastard, you've only had time for two or three pints maximum before the game. You know what I mean? It's certainly not the it's certainly the exception rather than the rule if you've had more than that. So that plays an impact on the atmosphere. First ten minutes were really up for it and then their tactics massively play into the atmosphere as well because they just don't want to engage. It's not like it felt like David Moy's sides were very negative when they came to Anfield, but they'd always like smash into tackles and they'd always sort of crowd the ref, and it, it would feel like a proper derby. It just felt it felt so unlike a derby. And I think that played into the atmosphere, sort of dying down. There was no like controversial tackles or or you know, you know, big moments to to sort of get the crowd up for it. So yeah, until we actually do you get the goal? And it's an outpouring of relief. It's probably not the best atmosphere I've ever been in for a derby. So um, yeah, one of those we just had to get get out the back of. And um, Man City away, half twelve after the next international break will be the exact same thing.
0: Yeah, Andy has a point there. Yeah, I think you know Everton have four bookings over the the game, um, and they are like fairly innocuous. Um. Yes, they're probably yellows. Uh, and we can, do you know what? I can't even be bothered getting on the Canate one because I think the first one's so ridiculous because it's like 10 yards outside their box. It's a nonsense. But Andy's right. It's fairly, you know, passive for, from both sides. And, you know, I think this narrative that Everton played well, defended well, maybe deserved more from the game, I think is. Nonsense, really. They compete less passes than any other team in the Premier League this season. If ever there is a level of dominance in a game this season, it's that. And I get that. Obviously, the red card makes a difference there, but
1: as we've noted, we've seen a lot of red cards this season. So yeah, there was like three or four on Saturday as well, just across the Premier League, wasn't it? Yeah. So like, it's not it's not a rare occurrence to see red cards these days, and. I don't know about yourself, but I I had my money on Ashley Young to be booked. It was an absolute banker for me um, because you know you he, know what's funny a, we
0: were actually talking in the pub about this and it was like
1: he's the closest comparison
0: in in football these days to James Milner, as you can get. He's a winger that was converted to a fullback, and he's feisty, <laughs> ageless, like and stupid like that. He's like
1: in his late thirties, yeah, yeah. It, it was it was obvious, and you know it was you know it. It, it was so obvious, like the game plan really for, for Liverpool was, yeah, get the ball wide to Diaz, get him at Madam, him, get him on a book and, and then, you know, just continue to do the same thing. And, you know, lo and behold, it's, it's a very simple game football, you know, confused by idiots at times. And that's a simple tactic. You know, you go with the old guy with one of your fast guys, who's tricky. And eventually, you know, you're going to draw mistakes and mistakes lead to red cards. So, you know, it, it was always going to happen. Um but, but their tactics was simply let's get a draw. You know, if if you would have went into the changing room but the you know, before the game and said to them, We are offering you a draw right now and asked every one of them cretins who were in the Anfield Road, you know, think it's that cool that they have to turn their back so you never walk alone and stuff like that, you know, when when it, you know, <laughs> it's not just because it's Liverpool's anthem and all that, you know, it, it, it means like kind of a bit of solidarity as well and in times of adversity, the city does come together and you will see reds and blues go hand in hand and stuff like that. But, you know, it's the it's the Everton thing to do, to turn your back to, you never walk alone. I'm sorry, but you can still hear it. You know, it's, it's not being played in the pitch. That's how weird they are. Um, it was just a little bugbear of mine, that. But they were quite happy to, to be negative. They weren't bothered about playing football. Offered them a draw, they're taking it. You know, offered them anything, like a corner and they're celebrating it, like they've won the World Cup. You know what i mean they're just weirdos but it it, it's just the levels apart is that like one win for them in i think it's 33 derbies or something like that um you know when that win came in the the COVID year so it doesn't really count because football didn't count at that time so yeah they're they're just weird aren't they (laughs) i'm saying that as i'm watching spares fans you know stand up clap and celebrate because they have gone top of the league after nine games Take a look across North London boys and lane. What happened last season? Yeah, well, we may or may not (laughs) get on to that because I still have my (laughs)
0: issues with that. Andy, um, (sighs) Luis Diaz has become... Luis Diaz, let's go Luis Diaz because I think that's right. Luis Diaz has become a player that's kind of started to divide opinion and I can sort of understand why. Um... People have talked about his output, decision-making, etc. It's funny because I I see him do the same thing Salah does on the other side of the pitch, where it's just like, just run into a player and lose the ball um, when, you're, when you're trying to beat him. And um, just look like you're not quite on it. But again, I think like Salah, <laughs> you can't really argue with the output. I think it's, is it three goals this season? Um, in the league And then again on Saturday You know It's both Young's Yellow and red card Um It's He wins the penalty I think he should definitely Win a penalty before The penalty With the Is it the Brand, The Brunthwaite Tackle I can't uh, Nathan remember Nathan Patterson I think Sorry yes Nathan Patterson You're absolutely right The Nathan Patterson tackle And although he's probably Frustrating Through the game Ultimately, I think he's pretty decisive, and I think the other thing that is relevant to say here is I think it's really hard to judge a player that is traveling back from South America after an international break for a half twelve kickoff. If we were to judge Alexis McAllister or his performance, saying you know we might be having a different conversation. And I think that's worth throwing that into this discussion.
2: Yeah, I think so. It's it's. You say like you can't argue with the output, but sometimes he doesn't he doesn't look amazing. Like that's the exact opposite of the Luis Diaz that we signed because he looked amazing but didn't do the numbers. And it's interesting that's kind of reversed. I don't think it's reversed in the same way that some people on Twitter are suggesting. Like the the suggestion that he's not a very good player anymore completely blows my mind. Has he lost a little bit of the explosiveness or the magic since he that he had before his injury? It's hard to tell. I don't think you can you can really make a full uh, a full opinion on that just yet. You know, um, especially when he's playing in these games where he's he's been away with Colombia, especially. But I never really felt that that was the best thing about Diaz. The best thing about Diaz was the effectiveness. It was the drawing of the file. It was holding the ball up in the final third, which I think is such an underrated quality of a winger. You know, the amount of times the ball gets into the final third and players can't keep a hold of it, and the ball gets turned over, Diaz can keep a hold of it for 10-15 seconds at once, and it allows you to and get the Adi, out of the block.
0: sorry Andy, just to cut across you, that, that was a real trait of what we saw from Sadio Mane as well, Mane, to the point yeah. where we literally took goal kicks in his direction for that very reason.
2: Yeah, totally, Mane was great at it, but I actually think Diaz is better than Mane at it, I think, um, I think he's really, really impressive. There's one actually, I don't know if you've seen the clip from Colombia, where he, he wins the penalty, which he then goes on to miss, an international duty, but he literally is a ball out wide and he holds it for about twenty seconds and gets himself into the box and wins a foul. Like he's a phenomenal footballer. Um and not a a winger who I think is actually reliant on his pace. So I think he can even if he has lost a bit of explosiveness, he can still be a very, very, very effective player for us. And you never know he might gain that explosiveness back as well, in which case <laughs> good luck to anyone defend against him. But yeah, he was um he was a little bit frustrating at times is yeah, I think it's very difficult in the game like that as well for a winger. You know, you're seeing a lot of the ball, and most of the time you've literally got ten men in the box in front of you, and you're saying, well, you have to find that end product literally every time you cross or you shoot, and it's not—it's just not really going to happen. So, if you come out of it, having kept plugging away, um, and yeah, probably being responsible for the two most decisive moments in the game in getting Ashley Young sent off, um, well, three most decisive: Ashley Young's first yellow, Ashley Young's second yellow, and winning the penalty. Just a really, really impressive performance for somebody who's just been really, really impressive as far as I can see, and I really don't get the the debate at all um, around him. You know, I thought towards the end of last season was a little bit concerned with some of his performances, but was prepared to give him the preseason and give him the start of this season to see if actually the injury properly affected him. Preseason and the, the start of this season, he just looks like one of our best players, uh, which is absolutely what he is. Um, I I agree. I thought. I was in the Annie Road, so I was the other end of it. I know Jay sits in the cop, or stands in the cop, I should say. But I was convinced that that first one was a penalty at the time. Like, I thought it was so, so nailed on, and it was given loads to Craig Possum because I thought it was a narrative decision based on the fact that he didn't send Kanate off uh, a couple of minutes earlier. But I don't know if you want to talk about that, but I thought that was a. We definitely really, really did get away with one there. Um, but none of the other decisions. That, to be honest, Andy,
1: I thought, obviously, from my vantage point, that was nailed on, and then the handball, because obviously where you are from behind the goal, you couldn't quite tell. Obviously, it's angles and stuff like that, but I was thinking we, we were robbed for not getting the Diaz one, and then it, it kind of became, you know, we went to VAR and thought, well, we're just going to get this, because even if it's a close handball the situation, mm. they probably realised that they fucked up on the other one, and they were <laughs> going to give it to us. But, as it turned out, you know, Michael Keane was trying to flag a taxi, and it was handball.
2: Okay, i um i couldn't really see the handball one from where i was it was like it was one of those I couldn't see what part of the body it hit but just the trajectory of the ball meant it must have hit his hand so I was like sh- and obviously you saw they a
0: in the ground you still showed handball, didn't you
2: of course it did but, oh, I, was over, but it was, I was looking over at the like the cop and the main stand on that side he obviously had the perfect view of it where like every single person was up in arms and I thought yeah we've got a case here um so I was fairly confident that was going to be given on the diaz one I haven't seen it back it's tricky and I think to use what has become a VAR cliche, it's one of those that if it's given it's not overturned and if it's not given it's not overturned to be given. Patterson does commit the a tackle in which case you can say if you don't win the ball and you connect with Diaz then it's a penalty and it should be a penalty. But it's quite hard to tell whether it's a tackle from Patterson or whether he's just attempted to block it um, in which case you know, there's an argument that Diaz sort of leaves the leg in and initiates a contact so wasn't surprised looking back that it wasn't given. But yeah, I think the, the only real controversial decision of the day was the the Kanate one. I think Canate is very, very lucky. And do you know what? The referee should be allowed to go back and just retrospectively send Canate off the minute Jürgen substitutes him 30 <laughs> seconds later. Because, that, you know, if the manager of the team is literally taking him straight off, I think as a referee, you know you fucked up there. But um, yeah, there's still a long way to go before they can uh, equalize the shit they've put us through this season, the referees. But, that yeah, just makes the victory
1: loop. sweeter, though, doesn't it? Because you know yourself, and like, you're in and around the city, and you're in and around blue noses, and that was the first thing I heard out of their mouth this morning when I went to work. You should have had a man sent off. You and, like the referees, there's to be hard, and like, but we would have beat you anyway.
2: I like, think it's quite funny how they like you know they always go on about
1: oh, the Atkinson's
2: Abbey mm-hmm. and uh, what's the
1: other oh what why had the stats thrown at me today? Craig Pawson sent four Everton players off in his career, and he's never since Liverpool played off. I was like, oh, and that makes it all so much better, you know, because all the shit ones that are out there, and he's just not managed to get round
2: to the point of sending us off yeah. But they they, they go on about the Atkinson Derby and the you know the, the the Kevin Friend Derby and all this, and then they always had the Pearson Derby because of the uh, Calvert Lewin, the Lovren one, which he gives at Anfield, and it's just it just makes me laugh that the Possum Derby is now that. Uh, it's just <laughs> it's just another one where they've been. Uh, yeah, arguably screwed over.
0: Yes. Uh, we, we can all get on board with a bit of <laughs> a bit of slander. I'm all right with that. Jay Mo Salah, right? Um he there's I still I still have people ask me, like in the poem that should we have sold him for two hundred million in the summer? And I'm just like no, just no. He mostly because I don't want to, because I just don't, because I love him so much. But again, I think we've talked about his evolution to a more creative player this year um, and probably last year as well. But again, it's it, it, it's seven goals. He's the second top goal scorer in the league. It's 11 goal contributions, which should probably be, which should be 12, given given the Spurs, Diaz offside, and I think created the most chances of anybody in the top seven European leagues this season. Um, He, again, looked peripheral and potentially ineffective, but again, he is decisive. And I think the thing that I get from Salah is, this might sound really sad, but I look at goal cool celebrations. He's just like, this is just business as usual. It's another three point. There is a there is an end goal here. There's a bigger objective. And this is just a small step towards that. And he just looks so fucking focused and committed to what he wants to do. Which yeah, is ultimately I, ultimately win fucking
1: trophies, right? Well, that's the end goal for any Liverpool team. Every season is win trophies. Yeah, um, I'll I mean, give everything. I mean, for, I mean, I, for the, I mean for the player
0: himself. Oh it's yeah. not Harry Kane let's score loads of goals. It's I want the trophies in the bag. I want to
1: show my medals at the end of my career. Of course, um, I'm going to give Everton one. Evans a slightly you know a bit of praise here. That Michalenko kid always seems to do pretty well against Salah. Um, you know, and you know, Evertonians do. I genuinely sort of that think question he, mark it's because I genuinely think it's because he's really quick, Mikolenko. I think he's just. He's yeah, just totally. a, He's just a solid. He, I think he's played centre half and. You know, he's a solid, decent player. I think Evertonians give him a hard time, but you know they give everyone a hard time. But yeah, I think I he... think
2: he's so fucking lucky against Salah on a couple of occasions, like a couple where he stands up and he wins the ball, and it feels like it's a bit like a keeper diving the right way to save a penalty. And if Salah gets past him, you know it's a goal. Yeah, it... but you know Salah's well
1: class and Mechelenko isn't, so it's it's bound to happen. But I think he is he's decent enough for you know for. Some players who play against Salah, Salah can roast him and he he didn't have a bad game. Um, but I think what what we're seeing with Mo Salah now is he's probably lost that you know half a yard of explosiveness that he probably had when he first joined us. Um, and yeah, his his creative numbers have gone up this season. Like, we probably have not seen this side of Mo Salah until the last like 18 months, two years, but. He's got players around him as well now who, you know, are different to what he was so used to in Firmino and and Mane, you know, like on the other side of the pitch, you know, we're playing at times with a more direct sort of number nine in Darwin or a different type of number nine in Jota or a similar one when Gappo plays at times, but we have not really seen too much of Gappo in that number nine position but I think he's just so clever, Salah and if actually speaking of referees, if he actually got the a fair crack of the whip he would probably get a lot more Because He gets held onto So many times And He literally Wears defenders As a backpack And we, we should be getting More decisions For what he gets um, Jay so, you know, It's he, funny always actually, be... Because you see Jay well, sorry it's, it's
0: funny Because you see the See the Kanate Supposed second yellow That's
1: what Salah Hasn't got 30 penalties for Oh yeah He, he literally He's manhandled But He's Egyptian, and you know he, he may have went down one or two times early on in his career easily, and he's just tired with that brush. Um, you know, if that's as you mentioned about two minutes ago, Harry Kane, for example, you know he's getting a hell of a lot more penalties and a hell of a lot more free kicks around the box and whatever. But as you could question, you know, would you have sold him for two hundred million? I wouldn't have because you just can't replace that. You know, can, we're seeing we're seeing mad numbers again. I think he's now ahead of Gerard and Fowler for goal scored Anfield. I think he's fourth on the all time goal scoring list for Liverpool. And he's probably gonna go further, I reckon, this season, because I'm not sure exactly off the top of my head, but I think he needs about eighteen to twenty more to, to take that position and and who's gonna stop him. He does seem like a man on a mission and yeah, we're not in the Champions League, but he probably wants to see like, you know, let's get us back there. Um, you go he's got new players around him. Let's let's win something with these players. Let's make sure you know they're saying these things. Let's let's go and do it for them. And yeah, he, he is so focused. And I think I've I've said it before, like, why would he go to Saudi? There's there's no reason he's too good to go to Saudi. You know, right now we, we've got a few more years defo win him.
0: Yeah, and it, it does feel like obviously we we've had a, a full skill midfield revamp this season. Um, the front three has been kind of transitioned but if you talk about those six he's the only one left and he now feels like a proper leader in the in that attacking aspect of our play he feels like the player everybody's looking to um, he feels like, I think he always was the talisman but the there were players around him that were able to hold up performances and numbers and trophies and go well yeah we've been part of this as well he now is the man in there and he looks like he's carrying all that weight on his shoulders and it's almost making him better
2: yeah I, I, I think it's mad he doesn't really have a very good game at all on Saturday does he like he's, it's arguably one of his worst games for Liverpool on the whole. No, agreed, agreed. But I think that's part of the conversation, isn't it? I, I think it's, I think totally because, you know, as I said, I think a couple, a couple of early doors where I think Michalenko guesses and guesses right and listen, fair play the ends, justify the means. But what really annoyed me is he was so predictable, and that's a word you could never, ever use about Mo Salah in a Liverpool shirt. He was never predictable. He always had adaptation to his game. He always had variation to his game, but it felt like you know that position he gets into where he cuts inside and he's like in the in the half space, like the position where he sets Diaz up for the goal the first day of the season against Chelsea, where he's absolutely. And, this, and
0: this, it's the same half space for for the the assist against Spurs, isn't
2: it? Yes, exactly. Yeah, he's deadly from that position, but. He kept getting that in that position and just trying that float the ball to the back post, and it was just being read every time. And I couldn't believe like the fifth or sixth time he did it. I was like, I've never seen you run of, run out of ideas before. I've seen things not come off for you, but I've never seen you run out of ideas and have no variation to your game. I was like, is there something wrong with him? Is he is he has he been ill or something? Because it was just so on Mo Salah, and then. Obviously he uh, he steps up and takes one of his better penalties, a penalty that goes in that actually looks like it deserved to go in, which sometimes we haven't seen with Salon. You never know whether it's through method or whether it's um, just him getting a bit lucky over and over again. But I'm still at the point where you know his two missed ones in a row where he misses a target are recent enough that I'm still a bit nervous when he goes up because I don't want him to be taken off penalties or I don't want that conversation to be to be had with him um but he's getting back to the, the player he just seems to score the penalties every time he gets them now and that's great because um that's what he always was for us pretty much and then the second one um it's worth it's worth saying Dave I know me and me and you haven't been as big as fan but it's, it's really really good and intelligent play from Nunez and if 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 uh lack of variation were words you never associated with Salah cool calm and composed were words you never associated with Nunez and um Hopefully that's shown a bit more maturity in his game because like the key to a counter attack isn't only sort of making the right decision with regards to pass and a shot, it's doing it at the right time. And he commits the defender just at the right time, um, and all Sal has to do is put it into an empty net because Jordan Pickford's position is hilarious once again. The Merseyside Derby, so yeah, not a great game, one of his worst ones possibly, but um, still uh, still comes out with two goals. Still got my fantasy team sixteen points, and um, and yeah, he's uh, he's on the form, isn't he?
0: Yeah, you're a cruel little fantasy team sessions. I can't be dealing with this,
2: um, <laughs> Jay. It's just because you're a shite. It's because I don't care enough, um, Jay. Look, it didn't fancy her anyway.
0: No, I know. Yeah, 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 <laughs> uh, Jay. Yeah, listen, let's do the Darwin chat, okay? Um, look, I still think there's issues within his game, but. I think, and we'll come on to the other sub, and I'll give you a crack at that later on. But it looks like these guys, these two specifically, they are prime for the last half hour. Um, and again, Diaz he, or sorry, Nunez, he, he shows us against Newcastle, um, against Everton. I think the pass McAllister, right, that sets him free. I think that's an in, I think that's an insight into why Klopp wants him there, um, which is fine. But yeah, Andy's right. He he carries the ball. He carries the ball, and instead of being this maniac that doesn't really know what he's he's going to do until something like presents itself in front of him, it's it's methodical, and the pass is perfect, and it gives Salah a one-touch finish, and it is three goals and three assists this season in what you can only say is is limited game time, and yeah, I think we're now
1: starting to see a player that you've just missed an absolute tap in in terms of you could have just said the evolution of Darwin
0: It look I think I don't (laughs) think it's I don't think it's necessarily an evolution I think that's I think that's I think that's too much on it I think an adaptation probably to what he's expected to do instead of just being this guy that runs in behind and kicks it in the goal instead of just being the out-and-out out focal point, which he was at Benfica, he's got to be more than that here. And look, it's still not perfect, but it's a damn sight better than it was, you know,
1: 12, 12, 12. Nine,
0: month, nine months ago, six months ago, maybe even.
1: Yeah, he's he's learning. Um, and I think, you know, everyone said when he 1st signed he was raw. You know, that would tended to be, the buzzword around Darwin Nunes, you know, he's got loads of attributes. You know, you can see there's something there, but he's raw and he needs a polishing. And he still does, you know, like he's by no way near the finished article. Um, but he's got better. And yes, you have admitted, you know, not one of his biggest fans, and you know, myself and Chief are probably more on the other side of the fence in terms of we we see him in a different light. But I've I've been impressed this season with you know his link up play, which I've often said has come on leaps and bounds and you know Andy probably sees it as well in the ground where you see things that you don't always see on television. But I think his link up play and his all round, you know, number nine sort of cliche it, it it's become a lot more rounded into what what you, you probably conventionally see. And yeah, the 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 coolness of him to to carry the ball that far and if you look back at his goal last season, and sorry, his assist last season, the derby for Mo Salah, where he, you know, it's pretty much carbon copy. You know, he breaks away and sprints off down the centre to left-hand side of the pitch. And he, I think with that one, he, he whipped that one across. And I don't actually know if he knew who he was aiming for. And Mo Salah just happened to, you know, nip in because Jordan Pickford was going walkies. But with this one, you could see it was a bit more, you know, thoughtful and he was he was looking for Sarah, he sort of held and held and held and waited for the opportunity to perfectly present itself where it was easier for Mo Sarah to score than it was for him so I I don't know that there's a conversation to be had there should he be starting every week arguably some will say yes arguably some will say no and you know it's the whole horses for courses sort of thing I don't know if the situation of international travel and there was a a question mark over his fitness in in the international fixtures I think he played 90 against Brazil but I'm not sure how he was the game before, I think he came off with cramp Um, and you know was he fit to play from the beginning only Klopp and the the coaching lads know that Um, but I thought it was a game for Darwin personally um, just with the type of centre-halves that they had Um, you know like the big big lumps and I thought you know getting someone up against them and potentially maybe giving them you know, a trouble for someone to turn in and, and spin them would have maybe given us a bit more joy than Jota. But then there was there was moments I thought where where Jota was anonymous in the game. But then I also you know did see flashes in terms of a couple of runs where he won three kicks and whatever. But yeah, I suppose it's it's a good thing that we've got these options and we've got different types of of players up top. And also Gappo returned to fitness last week, didn't he? So we'll. Hopefully, have him available in the next couple of games. But it's good to have these these players available to us and threatening players to bring off the bench in, in the likes of Darwin Nunes and Harvey Elliott, which I'll you know pass over for you to talk on. Yeah, I think that you're right. They all offer something
0: completely different, which is exactly what you want. Um, you want to be unpredictable, not just as a player but as a squad. Andy Elliott, it's weird. Elliott when he starts. It feels like there's not really a natural position for him in the side, but in the last half an hour when the game becomes a little bit stressed and chaotic, he's so inventive and so talented that he thrives in that environment. And we saw it again on
2: Saturday morning. Yeah, um, I think... He, 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 it's exactly what you say when he, he starts that game against Brighton. doesn't really take his chance. I don't think he's bad either. You know, he uh, plays a big part in one of the goals when he sort of lets yeah, him they're, through the summer. Yeah, they're all
0: bad. They're all bad, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 don't think, I don't think he was by any stretch the worst, but it is another game this season where he's come off the bench and, and thrived, as you say. I thought he was really good, actually, against Newcastle and was a big part in that comeback win. And, like, I don't know. He's just... Feels like when he starts, he's a little bit sort of nondescript at times in terms of what his, uh, his, his best attributes are. And I think when the game's kind of energetic at the start, he doesn't really, he isn't really able to thrive. However, he is perfect for when there are tired legs. And I think Nunez is the exact same. I think Nunez is a great sub. And, uh, you know, Chael, uh, Chael will probably think I'm, I'm saying that because I don't want him to start. But I just don't genuinely think, you know, he has those raw attributes when he comes off the bench, both of them. Um, that can really impact the game and turn it in our favour. And those are players you absolutely need if you're going to win the league, um, especially in a league that looks like it's going to be so tight as this. So, yeah, Elliot, just, he's, he's just got lovely technical ability. He's lovely on the turn. Um, he seems to have a little bit of explosive um, burst of pace rather than, like, I don't think he's winning any races over 30, 40 yards unless he's run against one of us. But, you know, I think I think he's got that little explosive thing where it's a little bit harder to push off the mark when you're in the 80th minute of a game, rather than in the in the first five minutes of a game. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just yeah, just and I also
0: think I also think with Elliot, it's that it's that low center of gravity and and the fact that he can he can drop a shoulder really quickly and just manufacture a little area of space where I think you, you see that for a shot that Pickford tips onto the bar, where he just he leaves your man for dead inside like a yard and a half and opens up all the time he needs. To concentrate on a shot rather
2: than just snapping at it. Don't totally. I, I really enjoyed his performance. And just on Giotto, on because you said you give me a go on him, I think he's really good on the weekend. I, I slightly disagree with Jay, and that could be um, perspective in the ground for for either of us. You know, obviously, Jay's sitting in a, at the different end of the ground than me. I thought he was, I thought actually, you can accuse him this season of being really poor in games and then getting the goal at the end which kind of masks his performance but also it's just really important to have a player who can score a goal when playing badly and then I thought his performance on Saturday was a complete antithesis of that, I thought his hold up play was really good at times, some of his touches were really good and he engineered scenarios where he, he he got running and when he when he gets the ball and when he starts dribbling and has them running backwards, he is absolutely deadly and he nearly scores an absolute world class goal at the end. We smashed into the side net with his left foot. That would have been absolutely glorious in the circumstances as well, given that uh, you know they had six basically six at the back after halftime. I thought he was really really good and really took his chance. And I think, um, I don't know if you're going to come on to talk about the left back, but I know you said it was part of the agenda. But I don't know if we have enough time. I think one of the best things about Simicass is, I, and while I don't think he played particularly well, I think he's a great crosser of the ball. And even though you've got Cody Gakpo there, he's six foot four, and Darwin Nunez there, who's six foot four, I think it's the five foot 10 Jota, who's the best in the air um, of the three of them, or certainly the best at scoring with his head, um, which is very different to being good in the air. So, a couple of crosses Simagas puts in that are just half a yard above Jota's head. And I think if they connect, it's a goal because we've seen that the sort of whipped cross quite low. Jada's deadly from that position and it wouldn't surprise me if you see a little bit more Jota, uh in the number nine position don't think that's just a Nunez was in South America thing
0: yeah I got like do you remember man I got switched to the nine position um, when Firmino was out for an extended period I got that those sorts of vibes from Jota's performance um, yeah not not exactly what you want but what he did, he did really well. And you've just got to accept that that's the sort of player that he is. Uh, look, Jay, let's get on to the left back because it's, it's potentially an issue. Um, I think we could probably agree Semicus's delivery is is absolutely superb. Whether he gets the opportunity to do that in this system is kind of weird. It's like, if this happens two years ago and Robertson's out, I'm like, I'm kind of fine with Simicus because he could do a fairly decent Andy Robertson impression. But with this system, I think we lack a significant amount of genuine width. Um, Trent's not, I, I think, maybe more influential, but surely not, certainly not as decisive because he's not in those areas of the pitch. And, and because of the way he's playing, the left-back doesn't have the same licence to get really, really wide, um, go beyond the the left-sided attacker, whether it's Diaz or, or Manny at the time or Jota or whoever. So, yeah, Simicus feels like a little bit... Like, I suppose if you thought Robertson was a square peg in a round hole in that position,
1: Simicis is beyond that. Hexagon. <laughs> um, yeah. He, I, I think we... I don't know, maybe the point you're trying to make is also that when Diaz plays, he does naturally hold the whiff more and Robertson will underlap. And, and you, you quite often see Robertson coming field. field. Um, and Simicas' best quality is probably his crossing and he likes to do it on the run from a wide position. So he's kind of wanting to get into, for me, what part of the field where Diaz is occupying that. So it's it's kind of limiting what he what he probably wants to do in that respect. Um, but you know, I've, <clears throat> excuse me. I think in the in the summer it was it was mentioned we probably need an upgrade, either you know a, a left back or a left sided centre back, or you know a what would probably be coined as like an Efanake type of player who could do both roles. Um, and with all due respect, George, us- sorry. Oh, um, Sorry, Jay. Do you know who you know I was thinking
0: during the week? Like, give me Dan Agar there right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I can I can see where you're going there. Um, you you just want you know if if Trent's going to play that position on a more regular basis, then then so be it. But we probably need a bit more, you know, stability. At the back, but then it also does then leave a question mark as is Diaz just running the left hand side of the pitch on his own. It's a weird one to have. Um, We're now, you know, faced with the 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 question of of what do we do over the next what ten weeks or something like that. That Robertson is not going to be there. There'll be games where we'll probably see Joe Gomez at left back. Um, maybe for a bit more stability. I think you know the, the Man City game coming up in three or four weeks time is probably nailed on for Gomez to be starting that position just purely for defensive solidity. But there'll be games where you know you will see Simicus because he can offer that um delivery. And then, you know, Andy's got a point where whether you play Joss up there or whether you go with maybe two. You know, like we've we've got what you put on paper easier games. You know, you think of the likes of looting away even follow us at home this weekend you'd like to see us go a bit more bold and think you know what let's just put two more down the middle and and you know give teams questions you know give give them things to think about and with the delivery of, of simicus then yeah we've probably got that option there but I don't know I don't, I don't feel safe with him there defensively but then I also think that's a an impact of of what Trent's doing on the other side and I think at times at the weekend I was screaming for Trent to actually go back to right back and just you know hold the whiff and actually spread the pitch, especially when they went you know five six seven at the back. I thought we were we were kind of missing the trick in in the regards of trying to get the ball through the middle where it was so congested. We probably should have went more conventional and and got Trent wide because you know he, he's arguably got one of the best deliveries in the league and I, I don't know. I thought we were. We were sort of banging the drum and it weren't really working, but yeah, we, we took Simicus off in the end and we sort of just went fuck it and we just went all out attacking. We got there in the end, didn't we?
0: Yeah, we, we did get there in the end. And look Andy, I think we're gonna to have to cop for the fact that this is the way we're gonna play moving forward. It's very, very direct. There's there's not a lot of wits. We're we're vertical, we're we're yeah, we'll just pummel you. So look, I think here's a shout, right? We've got three league games now. I think it's Forrest, Luton, Brentford, uh, two home, one away. Um, you'd hope to go and get nine points from those games. It looks like this particular system, statistically, is allowing us to go and beat the shit that was the big issue last season what are your thoughts on like we go to the area on the 25th of November and we do a back four of Trent, Canate Malop and Van Dijk
2: I thought you were going to say Gomez is the last one there, kind of playing the left back role um, I'm, I'm going Van
0: Dijk playing that left back role
2: I don't think he'll do it Um I could see him doing Gomez, just because Gomez has done a bit of fullback. Um, will he go to Will he go to the Etihad and do something he's never done before? Listen, yeah, he could do. It could be a bit of a thing to surprise Pep. Um, I'd be shocked if he doesn't have Holland on, uh, or sorry, Van Dijk and Haaland, just on a basic sort of central point of view. Um, I do think we'll go to I do think we'll go to City ahead of them their next three are united away bournemouth home and chelsea away i think and you know two of these two of those games are really tricky i think chelsea have got their act together to an extent and bournemouth even bournemouth to be fair have a new manager now so you don't know how that's gonna go i'm sure they'll still beat them at home but i think we will win our next three and i don't think they'll win all of their next three which would mean we'll go into that game ahead of them which will be nice because you go into the game one point behind them and you know you can't really lose because you don't really well we're not going to rule ourselves out of any title races at this point but you don't want to go four points behind them this early whereas if we go in there say two points ahead of them all of a sudden it's no disaster if you lose you can sort of go and play with a bit of freedom a point's fine the pressure's on them and I think that's exactly the situation we'll go into it with I've actually managed to bag myself a ticket for it which I've no idea how I've been trying for all the away games this season and what's the one I get? Probably the biggest away game in a reduced allocation uh, in a place that's really close that everyone wants to go to, so I'm excited to go down, I was there last season, twice could beat 3-2 in the League Cup and 4-1 at the same time which actually we discussed in the pre-pod was uh, the last you should Premier probably stay game away we lost which you, yeah. Which, yeah, that was the last Premier League game we lost which you thought was in like 2020 yeah, 2021 or something like that so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, um in terms of the system we go with there, it just wouldn't shock me if he goes for something similar than what we've been doing. It's been working. You know, is there a little bit more? I think there's a little bit more from the fullbacks in general and whether Simicast plays this way is yet to be seen, but a little bit more picking their moments. So Trent isn't always coming into the midfield. He's doing it when we've got a decent control of the ball. Robertson isn't always bombing down the, down the left. He's doing it when we've got, you know, when the when the time calls for it. And what it means is we we're we're not, Having that situation, we continued to have, we continually had in pre-season where Van Dijk and Kanate or whoever spends centre half was left two on two all the time, uh, which was something we definitely needed to sort out, and we did. How Simicast plays into that, not really sure. I do feel he offers us some width, but just don't trust him in the build-up like I do Robertson. He seems like a little bit of a player who, if you're the opposition manager, you're saying let him have the ball, and he'll give it to you to use a Sunday League Northern Irish phrase. So. I don't mind him. You know what? I thought last season when people were calling for him to be starting over Robertson, I thought that was ridiculous. And I I think I slagged him off probably more than I should have last season. And now this season that people have gone the other way, I feel like I'm defending him a bit more. Um, And I just think he's an all right backup left back. He's hopefully not going to throw anything away for us. And you know what? Man City can have their left back out for six weeks and cope. Arsenal can have their left back out for six weeks in cope. We need to show that we can have our left back out for six weeks in cope, and I'm sure we will.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm really interested to see what he does in that position for that game because I think we're, we're all kind of convinced Robertson's not going to be fit from everything we've heard. Um. All right, Jay. Um. We go into the next three games as I said. It, it, it's Forest. It's Forest at home. Brent Luton away. Brentford at home. Is that right? That's right, isn't it?
1: That's correct, yeah.
0: Yeah, thanks very much. Great.
1: With the Europa League and the League Cup thrown in for good measure. Yeah, saw a statistic earlier on that we haven't
0: lost a home game in front of fans since like 1906 or something. Um, No, seriously, it's like 2000 and fucking 18 or something, 19 or something ridiculous. Um, Look, I think Andy's kind of right. If we go in, I'd be surprised if we went in not top of the league to the city game. But this has got to be, this has got to be our bread and butter now, and that was the issue last season. If we go, what that what will that be? Twelve games, thirteen games in the season can't really be arsed going to go into the Etihad at a half twelve on a Saturday, especially when it's my birthday, because um, I'd like to enjoy the rest of the day. But I think there's a pile of teams that are really good this year that all have their deficiencies, us and City included. And I feel like these games aren't necessarily going to be decisive this season.
1: No, I think...
0: The way they were, you know, the way we've literally seen titles lost on, what, nine millimetres, etc., in games between City and Liverpool previously?
1: Yeah, I think it depends what way you look at it. You know, there could be an argument to say, you know, that could have been a title lost or, you know, stupid draws at home or silly sort of draws from winning positions. You know, you think back, like, Brentford and stuff like that or Brighton and Leeds over recent years when they come to Anfield and like spunk draws and wins against us, and you think like they're the sort of games when you look back over the whole season, you think, you know what, it might not have necessarily been, you know, the the city one, but those like accumulation of say five or six draws and the odd defeats in there, that that for me is probably the ones that that kill you because you should expect to win them games. But I don't think we'll go in top of the league. Or by all means, should be giving ourselves the best opportunity to go in above City. And like Andy said, I have a sentiments of you go there, and the pressure's then off. You know, if if over the next three games we should pick up the nine points that we all think that we should, and City across them three games are likely to drop points. I think in one of them games, so that would then leave us a point ahead of them. Um, you know, if, if the, the you know the accumulation of two wins and a draw um, and then yeah you can go there and feel as though if you get a positive result even just being a draw you're still above them um, and yes we've then got arguably tougher games to come after that but you know you're you mentally ahead of them and yes they will probably go back ahead of you at some point um, because they are you know just ruthless in what they do but this season you know We've got to give ourselves the best opportunity. Are we going to win the league? You know, we can do. And there's a lot of teams, as you said, out there with faults. I don't think City are by far as strong as what they were a few years ago. You know, there's there's proven points that you can get at them. And if they happen to lose Rodri for a period of time, it's basically proven that if he goes out the team, they are significantly weaker. You know, you can lose Kevin De Bruyne and you can bring in Julian Alvarez or, you know, you can you know, lose someone else and bring in Doku or whatever, um, you know, there's still players with pace and, threat and threatening positions and goals, but take Rodri out that team and they are significantly weaker, so we'll, we'll see how that pans out, but yeah, hopefully you get to that game with your nose in front, and you come out to that game with your nose still in front.
0: Yeah, Andrew. let's just finish off here. Um... um Jay's talking about Rodri being basically a single point of failure for, for, for City there. In our midfield now, Beryl's best mate Ryan Gravenberg has come in. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like that? Yeah, I thought so. Um, and look, like, there was probably concerns, suspicions, potentially, that he's had two or three managers at Barn. Nobody wanted to take a look at him and the price was, it was almost a kind bit of a knockdown price, 35 million, but it's a very FSG signing where we've seen value there on a player that um, somebody else hasn't been able to get a tune out of. And I think it's interesting, we, we, we now have those three, Curtis Jones, I think we all know my thoughts on him and, and it's been documented recently the influence he's had on the team. And you've got Thiago to come back in there as well. That midfield area now, and particularly with Bich, um, it's looking really promising. And it's his first Premier League start on Saturday. And it's like water off the Dutch back to him. It's a bit like that typical Dutch kind of arrogance, which I, I kind of like.
2: Sorry, I forgot to mute myself. I'll mute myself, sorry. Yeah, I, I really like him. I've always really liked him anytime time I've seen him play. And I was prepared to um, bow to Beryl's superior Dutch knowledge on these players. But I'm glad that uh, Beryl didn't qu- get it quite right in Goody Gakbo through the middle. And hopefully he hasn't got it quite right on Gravenberg, as uh, I think we have to pronounce it. I think he's, I think he's really, really promising. I think he's really got loads and loads of potential. He, right? he's a lot of the same traits as Sabaslai. And I think Sobasly is a little bit more experienced. I think Gravenberg has definitely had his confidence knocked by that year at Bayern Munich, where he went from being a wonder kid to basically playing four games and one of the one of the top German clubs not wanting him. Um and kind of being a castaway. And I think slowly but surely he's getting his confidence back. And I'm going to make a comparison now. I think he's a better player than this player, but I think his arc is quite similar, maybe not quite as dramatic, but because chamberlain was actually a lot worse and was really bad when he started off for a couple of months, but started to gain confidence back that he didn't have from being a reject of his previous club, starts to just show some signs, and I think he's gradually going to work his way into our team and be a fantastic player for us. And, you know, if he's as effective as Chamberlain was before his injury before his first big injury. And then we've got an absolute player in our hands there. Um, yeah, Andy, so,
0: sorry. It, it feels like, a bit like Chamberlain. He feels like a player, or to me, looks like now that Klopp's the perfect manager for him because he looks like he just needed an arm around him to tell him that you're actually good at football, lads. Just go out there and show it.
2: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's his interview after possibly, is it, Union Saint-Gilloise, where he scores his first goal, or is it Leicester? I can't remember. Saint-Gilloise, isn't it? Um, and he he does this interview in front of the cop, and he's just he's just got a beaming smile on him. And some players are like some people are just generally a bit more happy than others. But I think that was indicative of someone who's just had it really tight for the last year, and he's been given a a get out of jail card, and he's just absolutely loving it. And there's no pressure on him because at the minute he's not in our Possibly strongest eleven. If we have a European Cup final tomorrow, I think we probably play Curtis Jones over him. But I think there's no pressure for him to be. He's still dead young. He knows he's going to get loads of chances. There's six Europa League group games. There's League Cup. There's FA Cup. And there's also rotation in the Premier League. And at worst, he's going to play about six times more than he did last season. Um, And I'm sure that's nice for him as well. Like He has had the weight of a country on his shoulders. He was the next big thing for the Netherlands. And... All of a sudden, he, had, he goes to parent and he gets nothing. And all of a sudden now, everyone's just a little bit more cool about him. Everyone's gonna let him develop at his own pace. And you're starting to see the confidence of uh, the signs of a player who's really grown in confidence. He's got so much raw ability and raw raw talents. Like he's got a burst of pace. He's got par. Um, I think his final product could be a little bit better, but you can say that for a lot of players. And I'm just really really excited. Um, I want to see him start against Toulouse. I want to see him start at least one of these league games coming up. I want to see him start against Bournemouth. And just let him let him develop. Let him try things. Put him in low-pressure games. Throw him into the odd game you need to trust him with. And maybe put the shackles on him a bit more. Really, really impressed. Love him. And, um, you know, for all the bed wetting this summer. Just a lot of it justified about the midfield. You know, in Sabasla and Gravenberg, certainly. Um, I think they've shown... Certainly the legs question last season with Fabinho young Henderson has been addressed, if, if not the quality, which I think it is as well.
1: I think you'll yeah. say what we've said with Darwin on this three, well, 15, 20 minutes ago, where you'll look back in nine, 12 months' time and just see how much he's come on. Because I, I think we'll see so much more from him next year. Because as you say, his confidence has absolutely been battered. And he's going to take a year to settle, and he's 21. He's going to develop a lot more, but from next year, we'll see a hell of a lot more from him. And that's not to say we're not seeing positive signs now, because we are, but I think there's so much potential in that kid that we will see a hell of a player from
0: him. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think
1: your Darwin comparison is fair
0: enough, but I think as opposed to Darwin, he fits what we're trying to do. It's a very obvious, you just slot right in. Your skill set's absolutely
1: perfect for what we need right now. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's obviously, he's, he's through the Dutch system, he's technically a hell of a lot more I suppose then than Darwin. there's going to be less
0: adaptation for him than there has been for
1: Darwin. Yeah, agreed. And I think what, what we, we can allow him as well is what Andy said, that, you know, he is playing, he's probably competing for the same shares as Curtis Jones and I couldn't set up, um, because you actually mentioned the corpse of Thiago, I think. You know, we've we've probably not seen him since you know Darwin was shit last twelve months ago. Um but he's competing for that shirt and you know we've we've seen Cases Jones come on and probably claim that up until you know the, the fast red card at Spurs, which he's still suspended for, even though the officials were back in in duty last weekend before Curtis Jones was, which says it all about the PGMOL. well. But he he will be allowed. To develop and he'll be allowed games, as Andy, Andy pointed out. You know, there's there's so many games and competitions for us to play in, and they're not necessarily the high profile all the time because, you know, we're not in the Champions League. So you can allow for this to happen over this 12 months, but I think we will see a lot more from him. And yeah, maybe for once, you know, in his philosophical life, that Biddle was actually wrong on something. All right,
0: lads, thanks for joining me. And until next time, up the gonna win the league dysfunctional Reds.